0: This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The Gosford Race Club standalone meeting will be held on Saturday the 9th of May at Royal Randwick. Unfortunately, the half-million-dollar race that was to be called The Coast has been postponed for now to be replaced by a benchmark event. In the absence of The Coast... The spotlight will fall on the Gosford Gull Cup and the Takeover Target Stakes, while the Bush Horses will be there for a Class 3 TAB Highway over 1200 metres. One week later, May 16, and Rose Hill Gardens will host the Scone Race Club's standalone Saturday featuring six black-type races. The highlight will be the Group 3 Dark Jewel Classic, supported by five listed races the Luskin Star, the Hortensia, the Denise's Joy for three-year-old fillies, the Woodland Stakes for two-year-old fillies and the Inglis three-year-old guineas. Who would have thought the Gosford Cup would be run at Royal Randwick and the Dark Jewel Classic at Rosehill Gardens? Unusual measures for extraordinary times. Few jockeys in Australia have enjoyed a better trot in recent weeks than Queensland-based Brad Pengelly, who's currently confined to the Central West Central Coast Zone. A few days before that zoning began, Brad rode three winners on the Gold Coast, followed two days later by a five-win haul at Mackay. He got a double at Rockhampton on April 7, four winners at Rockhampton on the 14th, another treble at Rocky on the 21st, and another treble at Mackay last week. That is a total of 20 winners in a month. Brad Pengelly was reared on a farm at Calliope near Gladstone and was originally apprenticed to his dad, Phil, who was still training successfully. He rode 10 winners from 64 rides in Queensland before transferring his indentures to Ron Quinton at Randwick. Brad's first New South Wales winner was at Wyong for Kylie Gavinlock, while Ron Quinton trained his first city winner, the consistent mare, Amber, at Randwick in 1995. Early in his career, Brad had no weight problems at all, but it wasn't long before his eternal enemy reared its ugly head, and it's been a struggle ever since. In 2012, he quit riding but continued to work to make ends meet, riding track work mornings at Randwick for Anthony Cummings and working a second job at Sydney Airport. Nobody was surprised when he regenerated his career in Queensland and all of that dormant talent quickly resurfaced. Pre-pandemic, Brad was based in Brisbane, riding plenty of work for several prominent stables and riding plenty of winners on a wide variety of tracks. He'll return to that routine when life returns to normal. Our last chat was on Sky's Inside Racing program a long time ago. Brad, would you believe it was in 2002 when we did that interview on Sky and you were 24 years old?
1: That's amazing, John. Yeah, it's a lot of water's flown on the bridge since then, that's for sure.
0: You know, the way you've been going lately, you might get used to that easy lifestyle at Calliope and just riding at Mackay and Rockhampton. You're only riding one meeting a week, aren't you, currently?
1: At the moment, it is, that's how it is, John, yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought when when this, when this all this craziness happened, um, all my family are up here, so it sort of made sense for me to base up here, you know, and it's given me the opportunity to see every, everyone and... Um, and obviously ride too. So it, it's just been, you know, I'm one of those people that have been um, very fortunate in this whole crazy uh, experience that we're all going through. But um, but yeah, there's so many unfortunate people out there, and I, you know, feel very sorry for them. You know, but um, I just, I, I you know, we're just taking every every day that comes, and and um, hopefully hopefully things continue. Yeah.
0: I've been having a good look at the results of uh, the racing up there in the last month or so while you've been going so well. I notice you're riding for a wide range of trainers.
1: Yeah, John. Well, you know, the the, the biggest thing is they've got to get my weight, see, and, and um, I don't ride under 57 too often. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I just do the best with what I, what I can gain and, and – um, my manager Tony Durston, is doing a great job of uh, sorting that out as well, and we obviously go through it all together. And, and yeah, it's just it's just been it's just been really good.
0: You've had a terrible struggle with weight all the way through, but you seem to manage it really well nowadays, Brad. And is it possible your weight has stabilised a little? That can happen sometimes to the older jockeys.
1: Yeah, well, I remember I remember um, back in the day in Sydney and. I used to sit beside Darren Beeman and also Rodney Quinn, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I remember Rodney always telling me, "Just wait till you get into your late thirties, mate. And it, it start late, uh, leveling out, sort of thing." And and it, and it has somewhat, but when I uh, when I come back from my retirement, I made a made a uh, promise to myself that I wouldn't try to ride under fifty six and a half mm-hmm. again, sort of thing. And and I did do that. and I, I did ride fifty four a couple of times. I was successful, but it took a lot out of me, and and mm. and and that's how you can lose your um, momentum and and lo- lose your um, support from trainers because mm. there's nothing worse than when you can't make the weight on a horse, you know. So yeah, th- th- that's why it's sort of become good, John, because I, I don't ride under fifty-seven now, and and my weight sort of, you know, I don't have to take too much off in order to do that. So yeah, that's that's the issue that I um, try to avoid now.
0: Your Dad, Phil, has been chipping away for many years now up there, and he's posted a lot of winners in the region. He had a few handy ones over the years, too. County Ken was one. An Stand was another, they'll be well remembered by the racing devotees up there.
1: Oh, definitely, Johnny that I actually led um I led stand in, in um, on magic means day, he won a, he won a, one of the uh, lesser races on the day, and he was on 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 the on a on a upward trajectory sort of thing and and um but he unfortunately he he broke down but um but yeah the biggest the best best um, memory I have with Dad he he bought a tried horse called Solar Secret and um he was from down in Melbourne and um anyway Dad Dad sort of worked with him and got him sort of ready and he was keen to win a win a race at Brisbane with him you know and mm. so he given had he had a couple of runs in the bush and. He brought him down, and and I was fortunate enough to ride him, and and it was just a fantastic day. And dad got a bit of coin out of that day. I, I'm still waiting for the bloody thing, actually. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but uh, but he was thirty to one, and 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 you know, it was it was just a fantastic. It was like a Group One winner that day.
0: Yeah. The most important winner your dad ever saddled up for you was a horse called Talamara. It was April yeah. the second, nineteen ninety four. Yeah. The races were at Gladstone. And it was your very first winner. Hell of a big day.
1: It, it sure was, Johnny. Yeah. So I was obviously in school at the time then, and, and um, yeah, so I remember getting home from the, from from school on the Friday afternoon, and Dad said, "Are oh, you going to ride tomorrow?" Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Wow," you know, because he knew I used to probably overthink stuff, and mm-hmm. and um, so he obviously kept it hush until till the death sort of thing. So obviously I had everything ready, and yeah, it was. I tell you, like, um I felt like I was so strong. My, my mum used to do the videotaping back then and I remember watching the race after uh, that evening with everybody and I felt like I was stronger than Darren Biedman, you know, but I was probably, my arms were probably moving an inch at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was actually, it was a really, really great day, yeah.
0: Now, Brad, is it true that at that stage of your life you were contemplating being a part-time jockey and a full-time electrician.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I was doing. So during during uh, halfway through year twelve, I, I was doing this um, at, at the TAFE. They had a had an option to do a course, an extra course, sort of thing um, during school. That's what they sort of tried to instill in us to to further our career and whatever we wanted to do. And 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 that's where I'd done the uh, an electrical components course and. Mm. That was going to be what I what I was going to do, and um, you know, fortunately for me, um, that a couple of months later, I went down to Sydney for a work experience, and that's how I met Ronnie Quinton, and and mm. he suggested to um, you know when you finish school to come down, so that's exactly what I did.
0: Mm. Now that work experience you're talking about was spent with Alan Bell, uh, who'd been a veterinary surgeon previously. He then took out a trainer's license. He did extremely well in a brief career, and uh, it was a v- great learning curve for young Brad Pengelly at that stage.
1: It was fantastic, John. Like, like obviously coming from the bush, I, I'd never, I never, you know, it was just such an eye opener for me. And and to um, Alan had so many decent horses in his stable, and um, I was fortunate enough to ride ride some work work for him, and and. You know, just again, the the atmosphere at Randwick was just amazing. It was just a surreal experience for me. And and mm-hmm. um, you know, I remember when I come back from that experience, I said to Dad, I think I might just give that electrical idea a miss and just head back <laughs> to there when I can. Yeah, yeah.
0: Your dad is a man of wisdom. In your first twelve months as an apprentice, he wouldn't let you use the whip on a horse. He said, yeah. "Wait until you get to Ron Quinton's place, and let the expert show you how it's done."
1: That's exactly what he said, John. I I, I was forced, uh, you know, I didn't even pull a stick prior to, to that because uh, what Dad had, had told me, and and um, so yeah, so obviously, you know, going to the to, going to the city, um, with without that experience sort of thing, it, it's. Pretty uh, daunting in a sense where like it took me a long time to get going. But Ronnie was very good with um, with his patience as well, and, and um, it took me a long time to sort of get going. I was, I was a really slow learner, and mm. um, fortunately, I was light at the time, so I could whatever opportunity arose, I could take. And and um, and yeah, it it started to sort of click for me, and and that's when the winner came about. It was Kylie Gavinlock, and and. Mm. You know, it wasn't long after that I started to get on a bit of a roll,
0: yeah. You were only the third apprentice to be indentured to the new age Theo Green, Ronnie Quinton. He's had a few great kids since then. Uh, But back then, uh, you followed Mark Newnham and Nigel Seymour. Nigel Seymour, I think, is still riding in Queensland. Mark, of course, is now a very successful trainer at Roundwick. Um, So you were the third uh, into the Quinton camp.
1: Yes, yes, that's right. So I, I rem- remember it like it was yesterday. Um, we were at the at the top end of High Street, and and um, I think Neville White was beside us at the time, and and yeah, it was it was it was fantastic. I had my own little room, and and um, Ronnie and Margaret had, were were so very accommodating for me, you know, and and um, it just. Obviously, I missed home, but I was just so keen to sort of do well, you know. I didn't want to let Dad down, obviously, and and um, but it was it was such a such a different sort of atmosphere for me, sort of thing. But um, it wasn't long after that I was fortunate enough to meet Theo, and um, I used to spend time with him, and it was just looking back at it now, John, it's like a it's I'm so fortunate to have to have gained that experience, you know.
0: Ronnie Quinton gave you your very first ride in a race in Sydney. That was at Canterbury, and it was just before Christmas in 1994. You rode a filly called Tarb. She was unplaced, but it was a big buzz for the kid from Calliope, and she probably eased the homesickness a little bit too, right on Christmas.
1: That's right, John. Yeah, it um, it, it was it was just a amazing to see the jockeys' room in Canterbury and and you know, just the the um the jockeys around me were just yeah, it was just I was just in awe of it sort of thing. And and Ronnie would say just the first, the only instruction Ronnie gave me was you know just get out there and have some fun, you know. Yeah. And that just put me at ease completely. And um and yeah, obviously we didn't win, but but um but it was just a great experience, you know. And I and I know that's what Ronnie wanted for me is to, um, to try to, to absorb it and enjoy it somewhat, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, the boss puts you on your first city winner, a lovely little mare called Amber, and you got to wear the Millie Fox colours in winning that race at Randwick. She was a good mare, Amber. She won 10 altogether, nine placings, and didn't she fancy a wet track?
1: Oh, my God, she she loved the wet track. I I had an unbeaten record on her, I think. I, I was... Um, Mick Dippman took over the reins after I, I rode her a couple of times, and, and um, yeah, I, it was just she was just a great, great man. She, you know, she she probably wasn't a champion. Obviously, wasn't a champion, but but she she was a champion for me, you know. Um, she was lovely to ride, work, and just a pleasure to ride. And and winning that race at Ranwick, oh my God, it was just a just an amazing feeling. Mm.
0: Your first stakes winner was one leg of a winning treble. You rode at Rose Hill in July of 1998. I remember this old horse very well, Ask the Waiter. You won the Winter Cup on him and the other two winners that day were Dr Harry for Ron Quinton and Blazing Forest for Warwick Hales, who is now retired from the training ranks.
1: Yeah. Yeah, speaking of wet tracks, Johnny, that day was actually wet too. And, um, yeah, it was. it was just a... Just a really, really great day. Um, then it, that that, that asked the Waiter, we, I used to ride him work, and the pool we used to we used to walk the horses around the pool of a morning sort of thing before they do their workout, and asked the Waiter, I'd ride him and lead one sort of thing. He was just so such a quiet horse, you know, and mm. he 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 won that day, and and just gave me winning winning a listed race for the first time. It was it was you know it made me feel like. I'm I'm starting to sort of achieve something, you know, and and, Mm. and, um, it was a really satisfying feeling.
0: As the 1990s came to an end, you were going along happily and you were on cloud nine at a Friday night meeting at Canterbury when you rode two winners for the Waterhouse Stable. The very next morning, nine or ten hours later, you had a tumble from one of Pat Webster's horses at the jump outs Result, a broken leg. Prognosis, twelve months out, which is the last thing you needed with a weight problem.
1: Yeah, John. So, yeah, obviously I was on cloud nine and and um, just starting to to sort of make it, uh make a little bit of an impact, sort of thing. It was obviously um, you know some wonderful riders riding at the time, and I was my strike weight was up there and. Doing quite well, and yeah, unfortunately, that happened. And and um, why it was twelve months is because the uh, the leg didn't sort of heal properly, and a pin was inserted in my leg, and it had to be removed. And yeah, it was just a bit of a bit of drama sort of thing. And and obviously, obviously, um, my weight sort of was starting to sort of um, get a bit bit hard for me. And and when that happened, it just made it worse. And Mm. took me a long time to sort of get going again, Johnny, for sure.
0: Brad, I'll get you to stand by there, mate. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with Brad Pengeli after this. Some of Australia's best race mares, many of them in fold at Champion Stallions, will be offered at this year's English Chairman's Sale, which will be conducted with online and telephone bidding on Friday, May the 8th. 55 fillies and mares form the main catalogue, headlined by multiple Group One winner in her time, Group One Oakley Plate winner Booker, who will be sold unreserved, Group One winner and four-time Group One Place Getter Unforgotten, clean up the dam of Doncaster winner Natoya, Infold the Autumn Sun, Group 1 winner Youngstar, a daughter of internationally respected stallion High Chaparral. Among the latest wildcard entries is the outstanding race filly Fundamentalist, a daughter of Not a Single Doubt and Infold to Zoo Star. This filly was Group 1 placed five times. The Chairman's Sale will begin at 3pm on Friday, May 8, online at English.com.au with a live broadcast hosted by Caroline Searcy. For those looking for the right mayor to create a commercial family that will breed on for generations, this is the sale for you. The English Chairman's Sale, Friday, May 8, online. My special guest, Brad Pengeli, currently at Calliope near Gladstone in Queensland. You've had... Winning associations with a handful of special trainers over the years, but never one like the partnership you formed with veteran trainer Bob Milligan, who's still training a small team at Taree, and it all began, Brad, when you picked up a ride one day. I think at Port Macquarie, wasn't it?
1: That's that's right, Johnny. That's right. Yeah, I, I had a couple of rides there that that day, and and um, and. I'm not sure who was meant to ride the horse, but um, I was fortunate enough to pick it up, and it and it happened to win, and um, and yeah, things started to absolutely blossom from then.
0: Bob had the time of his life in the 2000s with Corral Boy, who won 20 races all up, eight placings, almost a million dollars, nine hundred and sixty-four thousand. You won nine races on this horse, Corral Boy. Four Group Threes, a Group Two Liverpool Cup, a BTC sprint, a Hawkesbury Cup, a Civic Stakes, and the two thousand and one Villiers, which happened to be his fifth on the trot at that time. What a gallant, genuine horse.
1: Absolutely, Johnny. He, he he's I think every trainer would want one of those horses in their in, in, in their stable. You know, he he was such a war horse. He he wasn't fashionably bred um, free flyer with his with his sire and he's been a, a fantastic sire, don't get me wrong, but um mm-hmm. he wasn't as notable as, as many others obviously and but Bob just seemed to have the had the knack with those type of horses and um he was he was one of them and, and he was just, just a really genuine type of horse and he he gave me so many thrills in, in my career I, I I'd never forget him.
0: Well, the Villiers wasn't the only race you won on that day. In fact, Bob Milligan uh, shared in the double. You also won the Razor Sharp Quality, which was a listed race on a horse called Center Fire. What a Christmas present—a Villiers and a Razor Sharp!
1: Fantastic, John. So there's a bit of a story to that one. So, obviously, um, obviously, Carell Boy had fifty-three and a half, I think, in the, in the Villiers and that was a bit of a job for me, but the other horse, uh, center fire who, who was later on that day, he had 52 and a half and I hadn't ridden that light for quite some time sort of thing. And I only, obviously only had the two rides on the day. And anyway, so I remember I was in the sauna. Um, my sister was staying with me at the time and, um, I was in the sauna and I, I had to get her to, uh, give me a rub, um, you know, just to, just to help me to continue to sweat sort of thing. And, mm. Uh, I it was it was very doubtful that I was going to make make the weight sort of thing in, in any way. So I finally got the weight off and and obviously then I didn't want to let Bob know that I was under so much stress in a sense to get the weight off sort of thing and, yeah. and um, I tried to compose myself and obviously when, when Carel Boy won that sort of really really lifted lifted everyone's spirits sort of thing and, and um fortunately I was able to make the weight on on Fire and he was a great horse in his, in his own right as well, Johnny. Like, he, he put a few, few few wins together and mm. he went down to Melbourne as well, but he wasn't successful. He run second. But um, mm. he, yeah, I tell you that it was just a, a fantastic day, which was on the back of so many winners at Wyong. And, and um, you know, the, the luck that we had during that time was amazing.
0: Mm. Every time you and Bob Milligan took one to the races, if they didn't win, they went very close.
1: I think we had a pretty good strike rate at the time, Johnny. I, I, it escapes me now what what, what we were on, but um, mm. I think we were uh, quite a formidable uh, force, sort of thing. And, and um, actually, I was still writing work at the time. Like I'd go up to Bob's probably once a week to just to sort of because mm. Margaret Margaret was like my second mum. She's mm. such a beautiful lady, and and um, so I'd go and see them. But I think everyone thought I was based there because I was writing for Bob so much, sort of thing, and. Mm-hmm. And um but it, that wasn't the case, but um it was just yeah, it was just a, a great experience.
0: Now Corral Boy was going so well in the middle of two thousand and two that Bob decided to sneak him up for the Stradbroke. Now fancy running into a Stradbroke as strong as this one. Show a Hart won it, Falvalon ran second. Yeah. You finished midfield but not far away, had his chance too, didn't he, that day.
1: Yeah, so Johnny, we, we, I, obviously I, I was pretty pumped going up there, and and um, I think he, were, he, he was he was he was favourite, you know, like like a like a you know the day before when they have it in the paper mm. they, they always have a favourite sort of thing. And, and anyway, so he was favourite, and and obviously Shahar and and Salvalon um, were, were up there too. But um, but yeah, so I was quite confident when the barrier draws come out. He drew three, and um, I remember. I remember as clear as it, as it is today that when I was when I was in the barrier, Corey Brown was out in probably barrier eight or something. I forget mm. the horse that he was riding, and then he yelled out good, um, "Good luck, BP," you know. And I mm. thought that was just really cool, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, it wasn't meant to be, Johnny, but but I I, I give him a good ride, and and yeah, it just wasn't meant to be, but um, mm. but it was just a great, great, great um. Great thrill to, to be riding a favourite in, in a in a in a notable race like that, but uh, obviously um, yeah. Obvi- sorry to interrupt you, but but mm. he he had fifty two that day, see. So obviously, yeah. um, I didn't ride much the month prior to that, just to make sure of my weight. I sort of mm. had it in my head just to sort of do my own routine and and um. Anyway, Margaret, um, Milligan, Margaret Milligan, mm. yeah. She, um, she she I'd when I'd go down to see them once a week she would give me a a week's full of uh, soup and it was just a a beautiful thing that she did for me. Yeah, um,
0: she'd make this special dietary soup for you in large quantities and you'd actually drive up to Taree on a day off and pick up the soup.
1: Yeah, that's what I did. (laughs) I I definitely did that. It was was amazing. She really looked after me and, and, um, yeah, so it was just, it was just a, it was just a beautiful thing to have, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, that Stradbroke day wasn't a complete wipeout, because Bob took a travel mate with Corail boy, a grey gelding called Adina, and he won earlier in the day at Eagle Farm. So he covered excess.
1: That's right. That's right, Johnny, Yeah. Um, it just goes to show how well the stable was going, you know, because. Some good horses racing on on Group One days like that, you know. And I think it, it might have been a Listed race or something. I, I just forget now. But he, um, he 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 won very well, you know. And and um, my uncle and and I've got I've got many um, uncles and aunties. And and um, three of them were there that day. And they they obviously backed that uh Curl uh, Boy, in the Stradbroke. And Adina was later on in the day. And they, so they got their money back. So they were happy. <laughs>
0: Didn't you and Bob Milligan win five one day at Tari?
1: That's right, John. Yeah. So, so um, I had I I won five races on the day. Bobby Bobby had four of them, and oh. one was one was um, I just uh, I just forget the, the trainer's name now. I'm sorry, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but one of the ones that I wrote of Bob's Johnny was, was um, I. I lost it on protest. Oh, I see. And, yeah, yeah so um, so I had to settle for the four, but I only had the five rides on the day, so it was quite a good achievement, but I, I, I went away thinking about the one that I, that I um, <laughs> buggered <it> up on. <laughs> yeah. and, um, And, yeah, that, that was a real thorn in my side, to be honest.
0: Mm. You got together with Malcolm Johnston around this time to win the Hawkesbury Guineas with the unusually named Shags. I would think there'd be no pressure at all riding for Miracle Mal.
1: Yeah. He was exactly like Ronnie, you know, like he'd just say, get out there and have a bit of fun, mate. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, um, and that day, the pressure was on that day, obviously, because I think he was favourite. And, um, yeah, he was a fantastic-looking horse, Shags. He never got the potential that I thought he might have might have achieved. But um, mm-hmm. he won that day, so that was important to me, yeah.
0: You rode fairly extensively for Gerald Ryan and Les Bridge at one stage. In fact, you won a nice race for Les on a Golden Slipper day, uh, winning the Derby Munro Stakes on a horse called Utson. I can tell you that there uh, is no more discerning trainer when it comes to selecting jockeys than Les Bridge, and uh, y- you've you've done very well to have your name on the list.
1: Oh, thank you to say that, Johnny. Yeah, he he was a pleasure to ride for it, Les, and and um, you know that horse was a credit to how how uh, Les trained. He he really nurtured that horse because he he was, I think he was quite highly strung early early doors, and and um, it got him up and going, and and um, yeah, I, I think he eventually won a Villiers, mm. I believe. But yes, he um, did. Mm. But yeah, so he he was a, he was a decent horse, but but Les he. he like Ronnie as well. He he was um he, he just used to, because he, he, he's such a laid back um, person himself. Mm-hmm. That's how his horses were, majority of them, you know. And and um it just he just used to instil confidence into to back your own ability, sort of thing. And mm-hmm. and yeah, he was a pleasure to rifle.
0: Brad, I think we might just uh, terminate segment one here of our interview. I've got a lot more questions for you. So let's uh, bring the curtain down on segment one, and we'll be back with Brad Pengelly uh, very, very shortly. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing, and Ingress.